Okay, well, we're starting on a fairly negative note, aren't we? You know, you know, what do people have against evangelism? With the two questions of why non-Christians dislike it and then why do Christians dislike it? But we'll take them in turn, shall we? Just look at why the non-Christians dislike them first. So I'll come around several times, so just give me one answer. They don't like being told they're wrong, whereas we love being told we're wrong. We just really love it, yeah? Don't like being told how they should live their life, yeah? Okay, the ideas of, of the gospel are confronting, yes? The message is repentance, which is change. They're busy. They don't want to think at all, really. Yes, that's right, there are people like that. So they hate this message of repentance and change. It's very daunting to change your belief, especially if your belief is a cultural belief from your family and the like, isn't it? They don't want anything shoved down their throat. Whether we shove down throats or not, they don't want it, that's right. Yes, it is uncomfortable. They don't like being uncomfortable like that. There's this wonderful view of relativism. It means evangelism is always on the nose, isn't it? Because it's pushing a view, yeah? It can be a very awkward conversation to have, can't it? Yes. Humans hate God. That's a good reason why they don't like it. Yes, that's... Yeah, bad experience of Christians. That can colour the whole thing. Or bad experience of church life. The bad reputation of Christianity, yes, fed in by a whole range of things today, like the uh, whole Royal Commission into pedophilia. That didn't make it any easier to preach the gospel, did it? They already think they're Christians, so they don't like it. That's right. You're challenging that they're Christians by evangelising them. Okay, there's lots of reasons, aren't there, why non-Christians don't like it. But what's weird is Christians don't like it. So why don't we like it? Why do Christians not like evangelising? We don't like uncomfortable conversation. Ruins relationship. It's hard work. So there are some non-Christians who just don't like thinking, but there are some Christians who don't like thinking. It takes actually hard work to do this, yes? Okay, we're worried about offending people, yes. They feel embarrassed about knowing nothing about and things like that. In London, some businessmen have taken to um, reading the Bible with, with other businessmen who are non-Christians, but they say the non-Christians do not want to discuss it. So they read the passage and they tell them the three things the passage says. Because when they say, what do you think it means, that freaks the non-Christian out. Because they've never read the passage before, they don't know anything. So it's really hard, yes? Many Christians don't feel equipped enough to evangelise, especially those who don't come to forum. We're not godly enough. Our character fails us. We, it seems hypocritical for us to stand as a Christian. It is big time commitment, that's exactly right. Uh, yeah. Can be lots of time, yes? With no assurance of a good outcome either. Just a lot of time. Don't think it works, yes? We don't have a sense of urgency. We don't like talking to people. That's right, there are some of us who are real blabbermouths and just... My mother used to say I could talk under wet cement, which my wife disagrees with, that's not true. She says I can do it under dry cement. So. <laughs> But there are other people who just really don't like talking much and this is a talking activity and so that can be difficult. It's not natural or relaxed that you know, we are going to talk about tonight, which I don't do that with my friends generally. Fear of persecution and even losing your job. We think it's somebody else's job. We don't know non-Christians. Helen and I have been working, we've been five years now, I think it is, living in the same block of units. There's 12, 12 units. The tenants come and go, the tenants come and the owners stay. And we 
only in the last 12 months have felt that we actually now are known and know these people. Say five years. Now, of course, home units, that's the hardest place to get to know anyway, because the only place you're allowed to talk to people in home units is at the garbage bins and in the garage when they're driving out. So it's pretty hard to have a relationship that way. But last week, was it, we got invited to dinner with, with uh, the, our neighbours directly above us. That's the first time we've been invited to dinner. Uh, Helen has been invited to afternoon tea, morning tea with a lady three doors, three flights up above us, uh, an old lady there. That's it. That's the social life of our units. And we don't know anybody else who has been invited to dinner anywhere else. No one does it. It's very hard to get to know the only non-Christians that we have regular contact with at the garbage bins. It's not good. It's not a good look to just hang around the garbage bins all day, waiting to kind of capture them. It's hard to get to non-Christians, to have their friends. This is where being at school and then being at university and starting out at work, you get lots and lots of opportunities to meet people if you want to. But as you get older, the number of new opportunities decrease steadily by lifestyle. Ah, you can do lifestyle like playing golf or you know, Helen and I are talking about joining the croquet club. We've been talking about that for some time now, now that I've given up golf and bowls. And, but we don't, you, you, as Christians get so busy in the Christian bubble that we don't have time to make non-Christian friends. And non-Christian evangelism takes time. Relationships take time. Following up people takes time. So there's lots of reasons we don't. So let's just try and work out what are some of the reasons why to evangelise. Because Jesus commanded us to in Matthew 28 to present people holy and blameless before God. Because hell is bad. Urgency. That's how to, but why? What's the urgency? They need, people need it, don't they? So it's actually our love for people and their need. 1 John chapter 4. 1 John 4:19. we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar, for he doesn't love his brother whom he is, he is, sorry, for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. So, why evangelize is because we love other people and don't want them to suffer, go to hell. But the reason we love other people is because God loved us in Christ Jesus. There we go. Okay. Why evangelize? Ed, what do you know about 2 Corinthians 5? So I'm not afraid of the judgment for myself. I'm only afraid of the judgment for other people. It's like... Um, but what happens if I don't care about other people? Well, then you need to go back and read 1 John 4. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's our job. That's our job, isn't it? To be the ambassadors, yes. So... How can you be the ambassador and not represent him? What can you know about the gospel that shows how God has no pleasure in the death of anyone? But it's the whole thing that Jesus was sent by God into the world. If God had pleasure in the death of people, there's no reason to send Jesus in, is there? If he sends Jesus in the world, this is a true saying and worthy of all men to be received. Christ Jesus, what? Came into the world to save sinners. Yeah. So... If you're going to be like Jesus, what should you do? How can you be like Christ, Jesus, who came into the world to save sinners? 
the proclamation of the gospel is the necessary outworking of the death of Jesus that Luke 24 passage it was the plan of God purpose of God that Jesus would die and rise again and the gospel be preached right so that's it but what about dying would you think that that's a necessary thing to do it's an inevitable thing to do yeah we're going to well when Jesus called his disciples to be his disciples what did he say they should do three things number one deny yourself take up your cross and follow me and then that is explained in the next verse which says for whoever will save his life will lose it and whoever loses his life why for my sake and the gospels so laying down our lives for the salvation of other people laying down our lives for the Lord Jesus Paul thinks that way you're in 2 Corinthians aren't you look at 2 Corinthians 4 2 Corinthians 4 remember Paul is an evangelist on steroids so not all of us have the experience that Paul has but verse 8 we're afflicted in every way but not crushed perplexed but not driven to despair persecuted but not forsaken struck down but not destroyed uh, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus must also be manifested in our bodies for we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus sake so the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh so death is at work in us but life in you that is we are like Jesus when we lay down our life when we give up our life for other people's salvation right it's not a kind of hobby that we do on the side it's this is the direction of our life is the salvation of other people because this is what Jesus required of people to be his disciples you want to be my disciple then you've got to lose your life for my sake and the gospels so I'm going to spend my life not for me my pleasure my comforts my happiness my joy you spend your life for the salvation of other people because then you are like Jesus so there's lots of reasons can you think for me we don't do it as a group we're little groups we'll do it in the big group are there any good reasons not to evangelize my answer is yes but I want you to tell me when and where why why would ever be a good reason not to evangelize the person's already a Christian that's the best person to evangelize because they'll love it yes Matthew chapter 7 don't throw your pearls before swine there comes a time at which it's not appropriate it's actually just holding the Lord Jesus up to ridicule very hard to work out when those times are but when else when Jesus sends them out the disciples out he says if they will not receive you shake the dust off your feet and move on now it's not always the temporal case but for example the missioners from Moore College next week when they go they go door knocking if somebody isn't interested turn around walk away don't spend all morning there just trying to evangelize the same people because we can't get through all of Australia in time so just keep moving so you don't have to persist and persist and persist with someone who doesn't want the message so well, I give you the opportunity I give you the expert if you're not listening you don't want to listen well I've got other people to talk to so you don't have to have deep and meaningful personal relationships with people before you start evangelizing 
Because think about it for a moment, how many of those can you have, those deep and personal, meaningful relationships? So, you know, you've got a, a dozen friends, half a dozen friends, 20, but you, you can't do it. We've got to reach the world with the gospel, which means keeping on moving on. So there are reasons, not many I may say, but there are a few reasons why not to. Um, as Ecclesiastes says, there's a time to talk and a time to refrain from talking. This is not my time to refrain from talking, this is my time to answer your question. So away you go. Away you go. What are the questions that you uh, wanted to tell? I spend day after day talking to a person, talking to a person, no one gets converted. I'm a failure as an evangelist. No. God gives the growth, that's one aspect. And secondly, I've praised God. They haven't responded, but that's all right. God's name has been praised. God has been spoken of in positive world terms. That is a good thing. That is a good reason for evangelism, even if there's no response. Because the gospel is about Jesus Christ's death and resurrection, that he is King of kings and Lord of lords and, right, and judge of all the world. Repentance and faith is actually not the gospel. Repentance and faith is the response to the gospel. In a sense, pages one to five of Two Ways to Live is the gospel. Page six is what you do with pages one to five. And so if I'm getting through pages one to five, I'm telling people about Jesus' death and resurrection. I'm praising God and that is worthwhile doing, even if no one gets converted. Not that I don't want people to get converted, I really do. But I don't judge evangelism by conversions. That's, even though that's what we're aiming for. So, questions you want to ask or comments you want to make now. Question of who should evangelise? Which is what our forum next week is on. So I do want to speak on it next week. And you need to take careful notes because he's going to be missing it. Right? As to who should evangelise. Because it's a real question. There are people saying today, not everyone needs to evangelise, only those who've got the gift of evangelism. And by the way, I haven't got it. I don't have to do it. That is a very common view. And other people are saying, well, evangelism is the 10th commandment or the 11th commandment. If you're not evangelising, you're sinning. Well, who should evangelise? When, where, where, how? Who should evangelise? Which is part of the question of, should I evangelise, isn't it? That's really what's the undercurrent. Right, what other questions you want to ask? That was an easy one. Come next week. Nothing wrong to have long-term non-Christian friends and in different contexts... For example, Helen, my context of trying to evangelise our neighbours, that's long-term work. But we're not going to reach the world by having long-term, by requiring long-term relationships before we share the gospel. We're going to be able to share the gospel with associates, not just friends. Right? Because just haven't got time for that. And if friends don't want to hear the gospel, I've got to learn how to be able to move on. That's a problem if friendship is real. You can't drop real friends because they won't listen to you. But you can drop associates if they don't listen to you. Or strangers if they don't listen to you. No? But if friendship's real, then you continue in friendship even though they won't listen to you. 
Ah, difficulty understanding. Matthew 18, 18, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. What's that about? It's about preaching the gospel. As I declare the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and people say, no, I don't want to have anything to do with it, then they are being bound by my preaching in heaven. And as I preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus, and they say, ah, now I see, please forgive me, God, help me. Right? So I am loosing them from their sins and bringing them into heaven. So our activities here on earth are mirrored in what's happening in heaven. So it's a spiritual warfare we're involved in. It looks like a, a physical, political movement. We're trying to persuade people to join our club. But in fact, it's a spiritual activity. We are taking people out of hell and putting them in heaven. Or we're confirming people in hell as they reject what was being said. Yes, what does it mean to hand someone over to Satan? It's there in 1 Timothy. It's also in uh, 1 Corinthians 5.5. 5. 5. Yes, thank you. Where you hand people over. And it's one of those uh, phrases, concepts, over which Christians have disagreed for centuries as to what it could mean, does mean, doesn't mean. Satan's world is the world outside the Christian fellowship. The hand over to Satan could be what Jesus talks about when he talks about treat them as Gentiles and unbelievers. But when Jesus talks about treating people as Gentiles and unbelievers, what he means is evangelise them, don't treat them as brothers in faith. It's, it's not necessarily to desert them. So the reason for handing them over to Satan is that they may be saved. So you're not handing them over to Satan to condemn them. You're handing them over to Satan in order to save them. So I'm now treating people who want to think of themselves as Christians but acting in complete contradiction to the gospel. I'm now treating them as unbelievers so as to challenge them in, to repent and to turn back. So it's, I think it's a salvation strategy rather than a condemnatory strategy. But there are other churches, other peoples who are very strong in discipline who see it as a condemnation strategy. It's the, it's the basis of that kind of excommunication theories. No, I think it's got to do with people who profess to be Christ, profess to be Christians. And likewise the one in 1 Corinthians 5. You know, he professes to be a Christian but he's living with his father's wife in a sexual relationship. But, you know, this is... You, 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 you exclude him from Christian fellowship in hope that that'll wake him up to come back in. Right? But it's, it's... Excommunication is very dangerous because we are so sinful and judgmental and once we feel that we are on the righteous side then we lack grace, we lack mercy, we lack the attempt to save people. It's very dangerous to be in disciplinarian churches. You need to be in gospel-minded churches that, yes, I don't agree with you. Yes, what you're doing is sinful. Yes, that will lead you to hell. And no, I can't treat you as a Christian brother while you continue that way. But let me try and explain to you again what Jesus has done that we might bring you back in. How do we deal with the people who feel trapped by sin, continue to fail and fall in sin, and then after a while they feel like, well, I can't be a Christian because I'm just sinning all the time and the struggle against sin I keep losing and so I'm not one of the Christian people. Is that it? Yeah. 
Good. No, they want to be, but yes. That's this. Uh, not every question is good. That's a really good question. Right? Very important one because it enables me to say all kinds of wonderful things that I'd love to say. That's what makes it good, you see. It's irrelevant whether it's a clever question or not. It just gives me the platform I want. That's, so that's, I'm not narcissistic. Who said I was? I'm not paranoid. They're just persecuting me. Um, the, you see, as long as you are struggling with sin, the Holy Spirit is at work in your life. When you stop struggling with sin, that's the problem. That's where it's difficult. But in Galatians chapter 5, the flesh and the spirit war against each other and will always war against each other inside the Christian person. And this side of heaven, we will continue to sin and we continue to fail. That doesn't mean we accept it or, or excuse ourselves because no temptation comes to us other than it's common to man and God always provides a way of escape which we haven't taken. So we don't excuse ourselves in this regard, but we've got to have a realistic expectation. None of us are going to be perfect this side of heaven. And so all of us are falling at some point in time. And what we've got to do is make sure we keep struggling against it. Even when it's the same one over and over and over, you think, when will I ever stop doing that? Right? It just means I've got to take more radical surgery but I've got to keep fighting it. However, what is Satan? Satan is the accuser. Satan is the liar. Satan is the killer. How does Satan's power work? He tells lies. What power has Satan got? None. Jesus has stripped him of all his power. None other than the power you give him when you believe his lies. What lies does Satan tell? <laughs> he accuses you of sin that can't be forgiven. And he accuses Jesus of not actually caring to save you and of God being unable to forgive you and the Holy Spirit not being able to work in the transformation of your life. And so you hear what's happening with your person that you mentioned, the hypothetical person, that as I keep failing, Satan comes along and says, ah, well, you're not a Christian. What makes you think you're a Christian? This is the 10th time this month you've done exactly the same rotten thing. Yeah, where, where, where is your Christianity? That's Satan. And I must reject him. What the scriptures say is resist the devil and... He will flee from you. He's like a roaring lion seeking to devour, but he's had his teeth pulled. The roar is all he's got. If you believe the roar, well, you give him power. But if you say, no, that's not true. I'm not going to accept your lie. I know I've done the wrong thing. I've asked for forgiveness again. Jesus still loves me enough to forgive me again. And so I am acceptable to him and I'm going to work hard not to do it again. I'm going to keep working at it until one day under God I won't be doing that terrible thing. And so that battle with sin in the life of the Christian really important to understand because we've all got the battle. <laughs> and if you ever stop battling you've got big problems. So keep battling. Keep being... Keep feeling guilty, keep 
remonstrating with yourself and don't let the Satan tell you that you're not a Christian or God can't forgive you or Jesus hasn't died for you because you failed once again, once again, once again. That's, that's a disaster area. And a newer woman, a lovely woman, became a Christian in her teenage years, late teenage years, and for five years she just continued to fall into the same sin. Week after week she'd come around to our place and say, I've just done it again, I've just done it again. And you think, oh, how can you be a Christian and keep doing this dreadful thing that she was doing? Well, of course you can, for the same reason that I do dreadful things that I'm doing. What makes my dreadful thing worse than her dreadful thing, or better than her dreadful thing? We're not in the base of, of achievements, we're in the base of grace. And so we just have to keep on reassuring her, God loves you, God has work to forgive you, that is forgiven, now don't do it again. <laughs> don't do it again. And for the last 30 years she hasn't done it. But it took four or five years for her to get over this particular pattern of bad behaviour. Uh, like, you know, many addictions. It took years to learn it, it, took years to get rid of it. But God in his mercy got rid of it from her. And what's always more wonderful, God had forgiven her all those things beforehand. Okay, now we've gone over time. See you next week on Who...